0: CHAPTER 43 OF THE GOLDEN SILENCE This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. THE GOLDEN SILENCE by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson chapter forty three since the day when victoria had called stephen to her help always she had expected him she had great faith for in her favorite way she had made a picture of him riding up and down among the dunes with the nightly look on his face which had first drawn her thoughts to him always her pictures had materialized sooner or later since she was a little girl and had first begun painting them with her mind on a golden background she spent hours on the roof with sadie or alone looking out over the desert through the field glasses which maeddine had sent to her very often sadie would remain below for victoria's prayers were not her prayers nor were victoria's wishes her wishes but invariably the older woman would come up to the roof just before sunset to feed the doves that lived in the minaret at first victoria had not known that her sister had any special reason for liking to feed the doves but she was an observant though not a sophisticated girl and when she had lived with sadie for a few days she saw birds of a different colour among the doves it was to those birds she could not help noticing that sadie devoted herself the first that appeared arrived suddenly while victoria looked in another direction but when the girl saw one alight she guessed it had come from a distance it fluttered down heavily on the roof as if tired and sadie hid it from victoria by spreading out her skirt as she scattered its food Then it was easy to understand how Sadie and Captain Sabine had managed to exchange letters. But she could not bear to let her sister know by word or even look that she suspected the secret. If Sadie wished to hide something from her, she had a right to hide it. Only it was very sad. For days neither of the sisters spoke of the pigeons they came often, and the girl could not tell what plans might be in the making, unknown to her. She feared that, if she had not come to Oedtolga by this time Sadie would have gone away or tried to go away with Captain Sabine, and though, since the night of her arrival, when Sadie had opened her heart, they had been on terms of closest affection. There was a dreadful doubt in Victoria's mind that the confidences were half-repented. But when the girl had been rather more than a week in the zaoua, Sadie spoke out. I suppose you've guessed why I've come up on the roof at sunset, she said. Yes, Victoria answered. I thought so, by your face. Babe, if you'd accused me of anything, or reproached me, I'd have brazened it out with you but you've never said a word and your eyes-i don't know what they've been like unless violets after rain they made me feel a beast a thousand times worse than I would if you'd put on an injured air last night I dreamed that you died of grief and I buried you under the sand But I was sorry, and tore all the sand away with my fingers till I found you again. And you were alive, after all. It seemed like an allegory. I'm going to dig you up again, you little loving thing. That means you'll give me back your confidence, doesn't it? Victoria asked, smiling in a way that would have bewitched a man who loved her. Yes, and something else. I'm going to tell you a thing you'd like to hear. I've written to him about you. Our cipher's ready now, and said that you'd had the most curious effect on me. I tried to resist you, but I couldn't, not even to please him or myself. I told him I'd promised to wait for you to help me, and though I didn't see what you could possibly do, still your faith was contagious. I said that in spite of myself I felt some vague stirrings of hope now and then there does that please you oh sadie i'm so happy cried the girl flinging both arms around her sister then i did come at the right time after all the right time to keep me from happiness in this world perhaps that's the way i feel about it sometimes but i can't be sorry you're here babe as i was at first you're too sweet too like the child who used to be my one comfort. I could almost die of happiness when you say that, Victoria answered, with tears in her voice. What a baby you are! I'm sure you haven't much more than I have to be happy about. Cassim has promised Maeddine that you shall marry him whether you say yes or no. And it's horrible when an Arab girl won't consent to marry the man to whom her people have promised her. I know what they do. She— Don't tell me about it. I hate to hear— Victoria broke in and covered her ears with her hands. So Sadie said no more. But in black hours of the night when the girl could not sleep— dreadful imaginings crept into her mind and it was almost more than she could do to chase them away by making her good pictures i won't be afraid i won't i won't she would repeat to herself i've called him and my thoughts are stronger than the carrier pigeons they fly faster and farther they travel like the light so they must have got to him long ago and he said he would come no matter when or where. By this time, he is on the way. So she looked for Stephen, searching the desert. And at last, one long afternoon, long before sunset, she saw a man riding towards the Zoea from the direction of the city, far away. She could not see his face, but he seemed to be tall and slim, and his clothes were European. Thank God, she said to herself, for she did not doubt that it was Stephen Knight. Soon she would call Sadie, but she must have a little time to herself, for silent rejoicing, before she tried to explain. There was no great hurry. He was far off still. She kept her eyes to Maeddine's glasses and felt it a strange thing that they should have come to her from him. It was almost as if he had gave her to Stephen against his will. She was so happy that she seemed to hear the world singing, I knew, I knew, through it all. She told herself with a sob of joy in her throat, it had to come right. And she thought that she could hear a voice saying, it is love that has brought him, he loves you as much as you love him. To her mind, especially in this mood, it was not extraordinary that each should love the other after so short an acquaintance she was even ready to believe of herself that unconsciously she had fallen in love with stephen the first time she met him on the channel boat he had interested her she had remembered his face and had been sorry to think that she would never see it again on the ship going out from marseilles She had been so glad when he came on deck that her heart had begun to beat quickly. She had scolded herself at the time for being silly and schoolgirlishly romantic, but now she realized that her soul had known its mate. It could scarcely be real love, she fancied, that was not born in the first moment when the spirit spoke to spirit, and her love could not have drawn a man hundreds of miles across the desert if it had not met and clasped hands with his love for her oh how happy i am she thought and the glory of it is that it's not strange only wonderful the most wonderful thing that ever happened or could happen then she remembered the sand divining and how m'barka had said that her wish was far from her but that allah would send a strong man young and dark of another country than her own a man whose brain and heart and arm would be at her service and in whom she might trust victoria recalled these words and did not try to bring back to her mind what remained of the prophecy almost she had been foolish enough to be superstitious and afraid of maeddine's influence upon her life since that night and, of course, she had known that it was of Maeddine M'Barka had thought, whether she sincerely believed in her own predictions or no. Now it pleased Victoria to feel that not only had she been foolish, but stupid. She might have been happy in her childish superstition instead of unhappy, because the description of the man applied to Stephen as well as to Maedine. For the moment she did not ask herself how Stephen Knight was going to take her and Sadie away from Maeddine and Cassim, for she was so sure he had not come across miles of desert in vain, that she took the rest for granted in her first joy. She was certain that Sadie's troubles and hers were over, and that by and by, like the prince and princess, In fairy stories, she and Stephen would be married and live happily ever after. In these magic moments of rapture, while his face and figure grew more clear to her eyes, it seemed to the girl that love and happiness were one, and that all obstacles had fallen down in the path of her lover, like the walls of Jericho that crumbled at the blast of the trumpet, When she had looked through the glass until she could distinctly see Stephen, and an Arab who rode at a short distance behind him, she called her sister. Sadie came up to the roof almost at once, for there was a thrill of excitement in Victoria's voice that roused her curiosity. She thought of Captain Sabine and wondered if he were riding toward the Zoea. He had come, before his first encounter with her, to pay his respects to the Mary That was long ago now. Yet there might be a reason connected with her for a second visit. But the moment she saw Victoria's face, even before she took the glass as the girl held out, she guessed that, though there was news, it was not of Captain Sabine. You might have been to heaven and back since I saw you, "'You're so radiant,' she said. "'I have been to heaven, but I haven't come back. "'I'm there now,' Victoria answered. "'Look, and tell me what you see.' Sadie put the glasses to her eyes. "'I see a man in European clothes,' she said. "'I can see that he's young. "'I should think he's a gentleman, and good-looking.' "'Oh, he is,' broke in Victoria childishly. "'Do you know him?' i've been praying and longing for him to find me and save us he's an englishman his name is stephen knight he promised to come if i called and i have oh how i've called day and night night and day you never told me i waited somehow i couldn't speak of him even to you i told you everything but i had nothing to tell really nothing i could have put into words and you might only have laughed if I said, there's a man I know in Algiers who hasn't any idea where I am, but I think he'll come here and take us both away. Are you engaged to each other? Sadie asked, curiously, even enviously. Oh, no. But, but, but what? Do you mean you will be, if you ever get away from this place? I hope so, the girl answered bravely with a deep blush. He has never asked me. We haven't even known each other long, a very little while, only since the night I left London for Paris. Yet he's the first man I ever cared about, and I think of him all the time. Perhaps he thinks of me in the same way. Of course he must, babe, if he's really come to search for you, Sadie said, looking at her young sister affectionately. Thank you a hundred times for saying that, dearest. I do hope so, Victoria exclaimed, hugging the elder woman impulsively as she used to when she was a little child. But Sadie's joy, caught from her sisters, died down suddenly like a flame quenched with salt. What good will it do you, or us, that he is coming, she asked bitterly. He can ask for the merryboat and perhaps see him. Any traveller can do that, but he will be no nearer to us than if we were dead and in our graves. Does Maeddine know about him? They saw each other on the ship coming to Algiers, and again just as we landed. But has Maeddine any idea that you care about each other? I had to tell him one day in the desert, the day si maeddine said he loved me and i promised to consent if you put my hand in his that-that there was a man i loved but i didn't say who perhaps he suspects though i don't see why he should i might have meant someone in america you may be pretty sure he suspects people of the old old races like the arabs have the most wonderful intuitions they seem to know things without being told i suppose they've kept nearer nature than most civilized peoples if he does suspect i can't help it no only it's still more sure that your englishman won't be able to do us any good not that he could anyhow but see maeddine has been very ill since he came back m'barka says mr knight will ask for the merry Maedin will hear of him. Not five Europeans in five years come to oued tolga If only Maeddine hadn't got back, this man may have been following him from Algiers. It looks like it, as Maeddine arrived only yesterday. Now, here's this Englishman. Could he have found out in any way that you were acquainted with Maedin? I don't know, but he may have guessed, said Victoria. I wonder, what, have you thought of something? It's just an idea, you know. I told you that on the journey, when C. Mayedin was being very kind to me, before I knew he cared, I made him a present of the African brooch you gave me in Paris. I hated to take so many favors of him, and giving nothing in return. So I thought, as I was on my way to you, and would see you soon, I might part with that brooch which he admired. If Si Maeddine wore it in Algiers and Mr. Knight saw, would he be likely to recognize it, do you think? He noticed it on the boat and I told him you gave it to me. If he would come all the way from Algiers on the strength of a brooch which might have been yours and you might have given to Maedin, then he's a man who knows what he wants and deserves to get it. Sadie said if he could help us i should feel rewarded for telling Honore i wouldn't go with him because some day i may be free and then perhaps i shall be glad i waited you will be glad whatever happens you'll be glad victoria insisted maybe but now what are we to do we can see him and you can recognize him with the field glass but unless he has a glass too He can't see who you are. He can't see at all because by the time he rides near enough the ground dips down so that even our heads will be hidden from him by the wall round the roof. And he'll be hidden from us too. If he asks for you he'll be answered only by stares of surprise. Cassim will pretend not to know what he's talking about and presently he'll have to go away without finding out anything. He'll come back, said Victoria firmly, but her eyes were not as bright with the certainty of happiness as they had been. What if he does? Or it may be that he'll try to come back, and an accident will happen to him. I hate to frighten you, but Arabs are jealous, and Maeddine's a true Arab. He looks upon you almost as his wife now. In a week or two you will be, unless... Yes, unless unless echoed victoria don't lose hope sadie for i shan't let's think of something to do he's near enough now maybe to notice if we wave our handkerchiefs many women on roofs in africa wave to men who will never see their faces he won't know who waves he will feel besides he's searching for me at this very minute "'Perhaps he's thinking of the golden silence I talked about "'and looking up to the white roofs.' "'Instantly they began to wave their handkerchiefs "'of embroidered silk, such as Arab ladies use, "'but there came no answering signal. "'Evidently, if the rider were looking at the white roof, "'he had chosen one which was not theirs, "'and soon he would be descending the slope of the Zawea Hill.' After that they would lose sight of each other, more and more surely, the closer he came to the gates. If only you had something to throw him, Sadie sighed. What a pity you gave the brooch to Maeddine. He might have recognized that. It isn't a pity if he traced me by it, said Victoria, but wait, I'll think of something. He's riding down the dip. In a minute it will be too late, Sadie warned her the girl lifted over her head the long string of amber beads she had bought in the curiosity shop of janine Sobes. wrapping it in her handkerchief she began to tie the silken ends together stephen was so close to the Zoea now that they could no longer see him throw throw he'll be at the gates victoria threw the small but heavy parcel over the wall which hid the dwellers on the roof where it fell they could not see and no sound came up from the sand-dune far below some beggar or servant of the zaoua might have found and snatched the packet for all that they could tell for a time which seemed long they waited hoping that something would happen they did not speak at all each heard her own heart beating and imagined that she could hear the heart of the other at last there were steps on the stairs which led from sadie's room to the roof nora came up o twin stars forgive me for darkening the brightness of thy sky she said but i have here a letter given to me to put into the hands of leila sadie she held out a folded bit of paper that had no envelope sadie pale and large-eyed took it in silence she read and then handed the paper to victoria a few lines were scrawled on it in english in a very foreign handwriting the language known to none in this house except the marabout maeddine sadie and victoria was as safe as a cipher therefore no envelope had been needed Descend into thy garden immediately and bring with thee thy sister, the letter said, and it was signed, Thy Husband, Mohammed. What can it mean? asked Victoria, giving back the paper to Sadie. I don't know, but we shall soon see, for we must obey. If we didn't go down of our own accord, we'd soon be forced to go. Perhaps Cassim will let me talk to Mr. Knight, said the girl he is more likely to throw you to his line in the court Sadie answered with a laugh they went down into the garden and remained there alone nothing happened except that after a while they heard a noise of pounding it seemed to come from above in Sadie's rooms listening intently her eyes flashed and a bright colour rushed to her cheeks "'Now I know why we were told to come into the garden,' she exclaimed, her voice quivering with anger. "'They're nailing up the door of my room that leads to the roof. "'Sadie!' to Victoria the thing seemed too monstrous to believe. Cassim threatened to do it once before, a long time ago. "'But he didn't. "'Now he has. "'That's his answer to your Mr. Knight. "'Perhaps you're wrong.' how could anyone have got into your rooms without our seeing them pass through the garden i always thought there was a sliding door at the back of one of the wall cupboards there generally is one leading into the harem rooms in old houses like this thank goodness i've hidden my diaries in a new place lately let's go up and make sure whispered victoria still the pounding went on they'll have locked us out We can try. Victoria went ahead, running quickly up the steep, narrow flight of steps that led to the upper rooms which she and Sadie shared. Sadie had been right. The door of the outer room was locked. Standing at the top of the stairs, the pounding sounded much louder than before. Sadie laughed faintly and bitterly. They're determined to make a good job of it, she said. End of chapter 43